This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, November 2nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. In his new book, How to Be a Dictator, Frank DeCotter examines the cults and propaganda surrounding 20th century dictators, from Hitler and Stalin to Mao Zedong and Kim Il-sung, and a few lesser-known dictators whose stories are nonetheless instructive. We spoke last month. Frank, this is uh, at least your third appearance here on the Cato Daily Podcast. I enjoyed your other books immensely, but I got to tell you, after having read read this one, I don't feel very well positioned to actually become a dictator. Well, that's very wise indeed, because I can assure you um, it's a lot of work and it's a pretty awful retirement plan. Now, um, you go through a series of case studies here. Uh, some of them, it seems pretty obvious uh, why you chose them, but uh, some of the other ones, in fact, one, uh, Ethiopia, I had not even heard of the gentleman, unfortunately. Mengistu, you're not the only one. I picked um, eight. It could have been seven. It could have been nine, 10, 11. What I wanted to do is illustrate how these very unique individuals operate in very unique and utterly different conditions to gain power and hold on to it. So you go from literally Italy, Germany, reasonably advanced countries, all the way to quite desperately poor ones like Haiti under Duvalier Papadoc. The point is to illustrate diversity, which is why I've included Mengistu. Uh, you do need somebody from Africa, and he is Africa's greatest mass murderer with about two million who died unnecessarily under his reign. So, um, are there commonalities here? Because it seems, as you as you note, that they are uh, such dramatically different circumstances. Uh, Mao, uh, Hitler, uh, Ceausescu. Um, but are, are there certain commonalities in terms of either gaining or keeping power that uh, that we ought to be aware of? Well, the key really is again by picking eight individuals, uh, we avoid what I call. Um, Typology. Sociologists love that. You know, the 13 rules on how to become a dictator or the five identifying characteristics. I don't believe that in, in that at all. There are common characteristics, but there's always something that is different. In the end, dictators are not rule makers. They are rule breakers. And they're extraordinarily pragmatic, even when it comes to, say, Marxist-Leninist ideology. Every single one makes sure that loyalty to his person is more important than loyalty to a creed. Nonetheless, of course, there are some overarching characteristics. It certainly helps if you are utterly ruthless. You must purge and eliminate your friends even before you start tackling your foes. And it also helps if you have very little or no empathy for your fellow human beings, since so much uh, will come down on your shoulders, you will have to make huge decisions um, as you will be surrounded by liars, flatterers, sycophants. So it means that you will make decisions which are wrong, costing the lives of occasionally tens of millions of individuals. If um, you can't sleep well at night with that, it's best not to become a dictator. Uh, when you talk about not sleeping well at night, uh, I have to, I'm thinking about Mao. Again, someone who, uh, as his grip on power seemed to be uh, unquestioned, uh, seemed to retreat uh, like within himself. Is that fair? 
Um, well, the thing with dictators is they they tend to surround themselves with liars, um, and as a result, they teeter between hubris on the one hand, making all the decisions, um, some of them ultimately believing in that cult of personality, believing in, in the idea that they are geniuses, but also paranoia. They want to have more power to protect the power they already have. They see enemies everywhere at home and abroad. Um, so when you teeter between paranoia and hubris, um, of, of course, it um, ma makes life rather difficult as a dictator. In the uh, chapter you wrote about Ceausescu, and you uh, mentioned this again toward the end of the book, um, the speed with which he no longer became a, was a dictator uh, is kind of breathtaking. Yes, in, in, indeed. So he, he is shot, he and his wife are shot, uh, lined up against a toilet block, shot on Christmas Eve 1989. You can almost uh, trace it down to the minute when the so-called spell breaks and people who are supposed to be applauding him as he gives a speech outside the party headquarters in the center of uh, the capital of Romania um, erupt in, in, in jeers and start booing him. He can't believe it. He starts negotiating. His voice falters at that very moment. Fear evaporates and the television blacks out. Everybody in Romania realizes that there is a revolution underhand. And I think this illustrates a very basic point, namely that dictators um, fear their own people. They also fear their entourage. Since they are dictators and seize power, it raises the prospect of a stab in the back. Any one of their rivals um, can take power in turn. But to some extent, dictators are also their own worst enemies. Is there something about uh, modern life in the 21st century? You seem at the end of the book, I should say, hopeful that uh, the kinds of dictatorships that we saw in the 20th century will not be repeated, at least in terms of their severity in the 21st century. Are there, are there reasons to believe why that might be the case? Well, of course, you can't really predict what will happen in the future, but the only true hardcore retrograde dictatorship we still have in the 21st century is probably what the person I refer to as Kim III, you know, grandson of Kim Il-sung, who was installed in North Korea by the Soviets in 1945, that North Korea really is almost like an open-air museum of 20th century dictatorship. Um, there are Needless to say, others, the People's Republic of China with Xi Jinping uh, is, is one um, very obvious example, and we, we should be very wary and vigilant indeed. But ultimately, if you compare um, life today to what it was across the globe 30 years ago, 60 years ago, 90 years ago, I think it is very dangerous to start seeing dictators everywhere, in particular in um, reasonably well-functioning democracies like Europe and the United States. It trivializes what happened to literally hundreds of millions of people whose lives were destroyed or trampled um, by ruthless dictators. We, we've moved beyond that. Maybe, maybe we'll return to it. Eternal vigilance is the price of democracy. But surely history does teach one a sense of perspective. 
and, and even going back to um, the Eastern Europe before the fall of the Soviet Union, life is um, so incommensurably different today. It's very difficult to compare Poland now with the Poland of the 1980s, never mind the Poland of the 1930s. Uh, when I think about um, when you mentioned Kim Il-sung, it made me think of Mao. It made me think of uh, Stalin and their relative support, at least in the in the early going, for each other. Is is there uh, something natural about the way dictators deal with one another? Well, they are ultimately ruthless. And they do nothing but use each other. And Kim Il-sung surely is an absolute master at pitting the Soviet Union um, against the People's Republic of China. Both, of course, help him uh, in the Korean War, yet ultimately he manages to play one against the other to um, to come out from the shadow and acquire independence from roughly 1956-57 onwards. Surely that is a great achievement. You could say the same thing of Papa Doc. Duvalier in, in Haiti, he really uses the threat of the Soviet Union in order to obtain the backing of the United States. It would probably have sufficed to send a small army of about 50 mercenaries to organize a coup uh, against Duvalier, yet it never happened because he managed to play the United States so well. Is the modern version, the 21st century version of uh, dictatorship to the extent that uh, we uh, see it outside of uh, North Korea, is it all going to be just, I don't know, sleazebags who use the government for their own, as their own purse and uh, use it as a something to benefit themselves and their families and not the kind of, of things that we saw in the 20th century? Well, that might be the case. But of course, if you look at the People's Republic of China, then I would be very apprehensive indeed. What we have here is a classic uh, one-party state, a classic uh, Marxist-Leninist organization that has ruthlessly accumulated all power, eliminated uh, in, in judicial independence since 1949. Uh, it has several families that have been running the place uh, for quite some time. The institutions go straight back to Chairman Mao. And it has acquired enormous economic uh, political clout to the extent that it does what it doesn't, what it didn't really quite manage to do in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, 70s on the Mao, namely um, have a very heavy hand abroad and try to incline, uh, to, 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 to try to, to pressure um, countries to curb uh, their own, if you wish, uh, safeguards on freedom in the interest of the People's Republic of China. I mean, when you see such a huge entity as the PRC manage to bully foreign companies into no longer mentioning Taiwan as an independent, independent country, then I think you should worry. Well, on that note, how worried should the United States be or people who love freedom? How worried should they be about the rise of this state-led 
capitalism that we see in China? Well, I wouldn't say it's stateless capitalism. It's a very old-fashioned um, uh, planned economy, although it's not planned in the same way it was under Mao or under Stalin. Uh, it's much more planned in the same way it was under, say, um, Benito Mussolini, a sort of corporate state capitalism. But it's not capitalism in the sense that there is no independent judicial system to safeguard your private property on which capitalism is, of course, based. So th this is a great, I think, myth to think that the PRC is capitalist. What it has is access to the savings of some 1.4 billion people and, of course, investments arriving from abroad. And it uses that rather well, uses those resources very well in order to um, build up its international clout, military or otherwise. So I'd be very worried indeed. Frank DeCotter is author of How to Be a Dictator. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.